This episode of Insights is brought to you by MNP Digital, a firm that guides, protects, and empowers organizations along their digital journey. See how at mnpdigital.ca. Welcome to the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Well, Don, an excellent conversation today with Jeff White, the CEO of the uh, New Brunswick Innovation Foundation. He has had an interesting career uh, in the early, coming from Newfoundland and Labrador, ending up as part of the NBTEL revolution in the 1990s, and then uh, along the way, a number of startup firms like Mariner Partners uh, to ultimately running the uh, New Brunswick Innovation Foundation. So what stood out for you in that conversation with Jeff? Well, you know what? I, I knew absolutely nothing about the um, New Brunswick Innovation um, you know, uh, Foundation. And uh, I was really surprised about how well they're doing uh, in their role of... Uh, you know, supporting uh, startups uh, in the province of New Brunswick. They, that, they've done, really done an outstanding job. And I, I don't think anybody, certainly outside of New Brunswick, and maybe even inside New Brunswick, really understands how successful they've been as an organization. You know, they just, their, their metrics are off the charts. Yeah, they've invested. They've been a player in almost all of the big, successful tech companies, uh, the big ones that have gone, uh, have been acquired or that are continuing to grow in the province. There's uh, the fingerprints of MBIF are on most of them. Very, very interesting. They've got about 30 million now deployed in their existing portfolio. And he was telling us that the enterprise value of those companies combines to about $750 million. So yeah, I agree with you. It's, uh, it's not a story that's particularly well known across the province and hopefully more people uh, uh, across Atlantic Canada will will know now because of this interview with Jeff uh, what they're doing. Yeah, and uh, also talked about the return on that portfolio, which you know they're going to have. Uh, they had some some things that didn't work out, obviously, but in, even including the things that failed, their uh, annual rate of return. What was it? Six point six percent. Like you yeah. know. That's right. Not a bad return, Don. If if we could we could get that over time on our investments. Well, I was thinking maybe I could invest in the found, <laughs> foundation because that's a pretty good return these days, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, you know, we had a really uh, uh, wide ranging uh, conversation. Um, you know, um, obviously, there's lots of. Uh, he's very bo- buoyant about what's going on in the province, and uh, and in fact, across the region, he brought up at near the end of the conversation the fact that. There seems to be a lot more collaboration uh, in this area, at least, of our economy than ever. Um, and a lot of uh, like-minded organizations doing a lot of the same sort of things that are important. And we're talking to a lot of them, so we're going to hear those stories as well. But, you know, it's really encouraging that the, the sheer number of companies that are being, you know, uh, incubated and, and, and helped along the way Um and and one thing that I that, that he said that I was really surprised about or I hadn't thought about is that there's there's people who are coming around for a second time of uh, of of ideas and, and and new businesses and and I think that that's really encouraging I think uh, for the region. Yes, repeat entrepreneurs. That's a, a sign of a healthy ecosystem. And and again, we're seeing quite a bit of that. He was uh, saying uh, in New Brunswick. I think we did talk for a bit, Don, on the talent 
crunch and the talent uh, uh, challenge in the region. Of course, that's an issue we've been talking to many people about. Uh, he has his thoughts on it, but ultimately, uh, I think that issue has to be addressed uh, one way or the other if we're going to see uh, uh, growth, because if if, uh, if firms can't find employees here, they'll find them wherever, uh, and that won't be particularly good for economic growth in, in our part of the country. Well, we sound like a broken record, don't we? But, you know, we need population growth, and and that's going to come from offshore. Um, there, there's got to be a, a really good strategy right across the region to target certain kinds of people with certain kinds of skills um, you know, we're doing a great job retaining people um, who grew up here now. That that part is working really well. But, you know, we're just going to have to import more more skilled labor. There's there's no doubt about it. And it's happening, fortunately. But like, you know, it's it's going to continue, isn't it? Absolutely. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with Jeff White, CEO of the New Brunswick Innovation Foundation. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, and a pleasure to be here. Let's start by finding out a little bit about your background. Uh, we'd like to, you know, find out the road to your current role of a CEO of MBIF. Well, I guess I'll take it back to when I arrived in New Brunswick around 26 years ago. Um, You're not a come from away, are you? Uh, I, I guess I'm. <laughs> a, I'm a. Uh, Mar- I'm an Atlantic Canadian, having left. Started in Newfoundland, educated okay. in Nova Scotia, okay. and then bounced as far west as New Brunswick. And um, <laughs> well, you're into, an Atlantic Canadian. Then. I am an Atlantic Canadian. Yeah, roots <laughs> in all three provinces: family roots and business roots. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I came to New Brunswick, taking a job as an accountant. I'm a C, CA by trade, and uh, a friend of mine said, "There's some interesting innovations happening in New Brunswick." So. Uh, I was at a point in my career early to say I wanted to uh, sort of branch out. And I was very fortunate to get connected with that innovation activity of the mid-90s. I just rode that wave and connected in with the initiatives, I hate to go back this, but to the MBTEL wave and joined in to its expansion of converting technologies into new products and new companies. And I got associated with that part of MBTEL's business and rode that into international joint ventures in the form of Genesis Telecommunications and uh, being the controller CFO of a company called iMagic TV, which some people have forgotten or like to forget about, but wrote it from private to public uh, and then kept following along to early days of a company called Q1 Labs and, and exited that as it, when I mean exit, left and it as we raised money with the U.S. investment and and then kept following my path along that way uh, from a little bit of time with the big four accounting firms to do some M&A work, uh, back into Radiant 6 Technologies, again, a senior financial role, a lot of operating experience. You know, most of my career then got involved with East Valley Ventures in its early, early days, standing it up as a supporter of startup technology companies. And then when the opportunity for MBIF came along, I felt two things. It offered a great opportunity to influence uh, positively this um, commercializing of innovation in New Brunswick. And MBIF had been fundamental to a lot of those early stage companies that I work with as they scaled. So, you know, that's a, a very quick 25-year career that included private, public, international without leaving New Brunswick. So I felt very fortunate uh, along that t- timeline. 
Well, you know what? You, you, you've seen a lot of the most important innovation that's happened in the province of uh, New Brunswick, Jeff. You, you're the go-to person for the history, aren't you? Well, <laughs> sure. I've, ha- I've, I've definitely been a part of it, all, and I've worked with some incredibly smart, talented teams along that way. I could never claim the credit. I was considered the, uh, at the time the financial um, specialist, and each of those companies had specialists in the key areas of its success. So that's can't overemphasize how important that was. You know what? I think we met during the your NBTEL days because wow. we did a lot of work around some of those projects as well. So I think probably that's that's when we first connected. I'm sure. sure. We wanted to talk about kind of two big themes today, uh, Jeff. One is the state of uh, tech startup entrepreneurism uh, in New Brunswick these days, and two is sort of the R and D and innovation in general in New Brunswick. But before we do, uh, we want to really find out a little bit more about uh, the New Brunswick Innovation Foundation and its role. And, uh, you know, for our listeners who are not familiar, when and and, and why was uh, NBIF started? Sure. Um, so NBIF was founded uh, to the credit of the province of New Brunswick, the government of New Brunswick, in 2003. It's It uh, was when it was first stood up to be a an investor in the applied research programs and uh, I guess almost the first for, foray into venture capital investing in New Brunswick. And it was set up independent of government, um, independent nonprofit organization to stimulate at that time what was defined as capacity development. So it was seen as an opportunity, you know, that was coming out of the wave if you think of the MBTEL led initiatives. And, and was starting to move outside of telecom into all other aspects of the um, economy. And I happened to be around at that time as well. Um, so to the credit of the government, it stood up this organization called MBIF, and it is focused on uh, talent development, I will define it, and and I- commercializing ideas. And so I'll dig out a little bit more. Talent development being, and it does that in two ways. It, it spends We spend a lot of time working with the academic institutions. We provide uh, enhanced scholarships, enhanced recruitment packages to attract the best and brightest at the master's and PhD levels that the the universities are educating, primarily in the science, technology, entrepreneurship, and management field. So MBIF is a a part of that program with the universities. They lead it. And we also assist in attracting and recruiting uh, lead professors who can fire up a research program. And why that's important, they become subject matter experts. And we focus on what we call the applied applied research, which is really turning a, turning an idea into a, a product, service, or business. So that's the field of research we do. And so the, a lot of the academic. And the second thing we do, which is probably more vo- uh, visual and more known, is we are a very early stage investor in companies. And primarily technology co- enabled, technology backed or based companies, and we do that on behalf of the province of New Brunswick. We become a shareholder with two, three, four people forming a company, and we try and provide equity capital, which allows again we get back shares in those companies as they try and grow and scale and become global dominators along the way. And the the secret sauce is: can we get continue to enhance the transition of those ideas that are in starting with these very intelligent novel thinkers in the research world of academia 
and then take that and move the idea. And often some of those students and occasionally a professor, but a lot of times those educated PhD masters will go with that technology and fire up a company and wrap some, you know, general entrepreneurial skill around it. And, and, you know, I'll say, take that off. And, and that does a few things. It drives jobs, it drives revenues, it drives growth, it drives uh, opportunity. And it also drives wealth, which then cycles back to generate a cap capital replenishment that we can put back into that virtuous cycle. It's really, it's a, it's been a very positive model for New Brunswick's uh, growth into innovation. Uh, just a follow, quick follow-up question: What sort of uh, what 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 size of of investment have you made uh, in in companies? Do you have a sure. number? Uh, Dollar-wise, the yeah. largest we have is once we hit around a million dollars of total investment over, say, a three or four-year period, we would traditionally yeah. back off, and this the larger venture capital firms take over. Right. But to be honest, on we will write the first twenty-five thousand dollar check into you need to do a bit of business planning or or customer discovery. We'll take that level of risk alongside the the founder and with often outside uh, investors. So our really our lane is from day zero to, you know, year two. That's when we probably have the most significant uh, impact with our dollars and and work with them. And we have that ability to do that because of the structure that the government has created for us to operate under. And what's the size of the fund that you've got invested right now? Well, today, it's a great question. So we have um, a fund today. I'm just going to get that stat right here. It's we have about 25, 30 active companies. To us, that represents a, a value of around, uh, where we go, $35 million. Okay. Well, here's what's more impressive. That that group of companies, when you look at their total value, is it's approaching $750 to $800 million worth of enterprise value for New Brunswick. So, you know, we have, wow, again, indicates how we just take a small sliver at a really important time in their journey. When not a lot of other people will step in, you know, it's called the riskiest, uh, wrap our team around them, connect with other investors, connect with researchers, connect with students, whatever we can in that, that lane that we've carved out for ourselves. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it works for us. And we've, we've had some great exits over the period, you know, we've had some write-offs, but we've had some really positive exits that have continued to stimulate reinvestment and new businesses forming out of those entrepreneurs. So Jeff, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about how you measure success. Obviously, you're at the riskier end when it comes to support for these startup firms. So how do you measure success? And then what would you say is the key to success uh, for the organization? So on the research side of things, we, we do look at measurements of staff trained. Are we creating, are we helping create talent pools that could be continue research or could come out into the uh, ecosystem? We look at IP created out of that portfolio, attraction of new new talent in the form of researchers. And again, you know, we we measure, we provide small amounts of money into that. And so we look at that as sort of build it into our our program uh, in conjunction with those research institutions and uh, universities, community colleges. And then if we move over to the venture capital side, we really look at, you know, a really the key at metric for us as the organization is the IRR internal rate of return. So we try to put a financial metrics on it measured over time so that we are over time net positive. And so over 18 years, the IRR is six to 8% at any one point in time. And we very conservatively measure that that's based on, you know, 
past exits and current valuation to us. Uh, of course, we do measure in addition to that, I would call secondary, but important to, for our um, our investor, which is the government, is are they driving employment? Are they driving revenues? Are they driving taxes? And we turn to the economist <laughs> to help us do that, uh, to say we've got a, a plethora of data uh, to do that. But you know, no question, growth in employment, growth in revenues, probably the biggest leading indicators of success in those in that portfolio of companies. So, and I'm very happy, Jeff. Thanks for the euphemism there. It's, I'm happy to have, have helped you a little yes. bit in the past with economic impact assessment, just Correct. for full disclosure. Yes. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what that means by IRR for those that are not familiar? So are you saying that for the money that you invest in companies, over time, you're getting about a 6.6% annual return on that investment? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Or more that or less? Looks, that looks at every dollar we've invested over the last 18 years. It factors in what we've, what companies that have failed, companies that have succeeded, companies that are operating exits, all that over. And uh, that will put us in a pretty good, you know, in the top quartile probably in Canada of venture capital investing. It is distorted because you get these anomalies of exceptionally large you know, every now and then a, an exceptionally large uh, exit. But to be honest, we're seeing, you know, it's not just exits. We're seeing, uh, they call it secondary offerings. It's a technical term, but we go in, a company can grow and scale. It refinances just like a real estate company refinances. So when you do that, they there's um, uh, investors changeover. So without an actual sale of a company, we're now seeing that level of maturity in companies where they have scale and the ability to say no. New investor comes in, they'll give us company to grow. And if there's someone who would like to sell some of their shares and keep the company going, feel free to do that. So, uh, so that's the scoop uh, on that. So we, we're, a, I'm proud of the team. I've been there three years, so I can't correct, claim that I'm um, uh, in the current stage. I'm helping influence it, but that's been a sustained uh, benefit of MBAF, and it's it's really kicked off in the last ten years. So we're going to come back and sure. ask you more about that in a minute. But I wanted to step back and ask you a little bit about just to get your thoughts on what's going on with the IT sector, specifically in the province. We did, uh, there were a number of years, sort of 15, 20 years ago, where we saw very strong growth in the ICT sector. And then for whatever reason, it went flat for a number of years. But in the last sort of five years, or at least since 2016, we've had robust uh, ICT growth in terms of its GDP and employment contribution. I guess now just thinking about it, that kind of correlates with your time at the MBIF. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding there. Uh, but but what do you, just sort of stepping back, what do you attribute to that growth? Is, is it because we're seeing some of these very impressive uh, uh, growth companies or what, what would be driving that ICT GDP growth? Well, I th I think there's a couple of things happening. If I take the NBIF lens of what would have happened in that period, which is coincidental <laughs> to when I uh, uh, there, we are seeing more dollars invested into these ICT companies in the last three to five years than we have, you know, on average in the past. Uh, and and that that you know the baseline is going up. Um, so by definition, that's putting money into companies that spend you know, on R&D and spend in the ICT sector. So that's driving it. We're seeing some revenues increase in that area as well from, from the portfolio we have. I also would point that there are other non-venture-backed companies that have been growing through that same period. And I have to call out companies like Mariner and Innovatia, uh, to name a few. You know, the, the now transformed Spilo is still operating down in 
Moncton, right? Like certain things. So, so I would think it's a combination of new business formation, repeat entrepreneurs forming companies, which are growing faster than say a new one. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we have a, a stable of existing companies in New Brunswick that are, that are, um, that have been sustaining and growing during that period. And, you know, a lot of those investments were made. If I think about the ones influencing our portfolio, were, the early investments were made in 2012, 2013. And so three to five years later, there's some significant events have occurred to, to drive that. One of the biggest challenges I think we're facing these days is the uh, battle for talent. It's happening everywhere. Everywhere you look, uh, attraction, retention, big issues for virtually every company. Uh, wage, wages are, uh, are going up high, uh, quickly, and uh, local firms are competing at national and international levels now for both employees and uh, at the compensation levels. I, I wonder, you know, are you doing anything in, in, in your role to help uh, help the companies that, that you're supporting on the talent acquisition side at all? Uh Specifically, I would say, you know, we have a couple things we, we can help with our uh, reforming teams. We definitely do help in that part at the founder level. So, right. you know, when we have 20 companies that start over a two-year, three-year period, 10 to 15 will continue. A few decide to get out of the business so that we do some of that repackaging or, or connections. Um and then what I guess the other part that we are doing is we are realizing what we used to write, say, a $100,000 check to a company in its first, say, to get it through a six-month period. We need to think about putting more more dollars into that. Uh, the 100 is not going to get them along the line. So those are some key things that we are, you know, that are in our control that we can influence. Uh, but, you know, I, I point to that and go, that's a positive sign. Uh, so our companies. You know, our region needs to maintain global competitiveness. So we keep talking to these companies. You know, we can't, don't, don't complain about that. Let's, ad- how do you adapt to it? What do you do with your working opportunity? Uh, what are the long-term benefits that you can provide your employees? Like you get to point out that the opportunity, so increased wages is a good thing overall. It's challenging on a tight labor market, but that means uh, values will be going up. And I always say it's, value of the product or service can be expected to increase as a result of that. So factor that into your planning along those ways. So, you know, um, it's a global, it's really demonstrating the global marketplace and, and really the, this is one of the things that the pandemic really accelerated the ability that companies realize were willing to work remotely more so than they were in the past. And, uh, and there, you know, that's a good and a bad. So what we're might, consider people are coming into our region, it's an opportunity to go outside the region and maybe not have to relocate a hundred people here, which, you know, depending on which lens you say that, uh, has good, as uh, good or bad, but so that, that's kind of where we play with that one. So Jeff, I'm trying to find out if that remote work trend is actually yeah. a negative or a positive or neutral. It, of course, it, as you say, it did, did just sort of hit on the radio radar here, mostly during the pandemic, although it was happening before in some respects. I recently interviewed a number of IT-related HR managers, and virtually they all said they were losing talent yeah. to national, international firms. So they were very concerned. Again, as as Don mentioned, wages rising, uh, and um, literally the employees, not, the employees that they lose, not even moving, staying in the community, 
but now working for Google or, or, or for some of these bigger players. So I guess just to get a little bit more of your thoughts on that, do you, what, what, what should we do? And let me just, let me just sort of preface that with one more little comment, because one of the things that kind of bugs me, and I know you're going to push back on me, Jeff, <laughs> and you should, but one of the things that kind of bugs me is that a lot of these firms get government money too. Not necessarily your sort of investments, sure. but they actually get payroll rebates. They get other money from government, and then they, you know, turn around and, and I've seen them. They're promoting, you know, that that any no matter where you live in Canada, you can you can work these jobs. Shouldn't they at very minimum be saying, look, we'd at least like you to consider moving to New Brunswick and be closer to to our core team, or or you know, do we just throw in the flag here and say? Okay, uh, these firms have to hire wherever they can hire. It's a it's a global war for talent, and we should just give up in terms of trying to convince these people to move to New Brunswick. Uh, fair comment. So I think it's a, it's a balancing act because prior to the uh, prior to my operating days, prior to this phenomenon, we were working hiring remote or or moving people in and out as part of this, and particularly software companies when your product can move. To the uh, to the wires, so to speak. So it was a, a phenomena. It definitely has gotten accelerated. We haven't. The new phenomena is the large international companies have adopted that. So that's changed the world. So I think uh, it's affecting new business creation. It's affecting IT departments. Uh, it's 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 a it's all across. But you know what we and but I will say that you can't drive the innovation in this sector without people. So you do need talent. Um, so, you know, we, we just talked about, but immigration, do we have to turn up the heat, turn up when I say the heat, focus on that more aggressively. How are we going to bring people to Canada and they're by definition bring to, to New Brunswick? Um, we are seeing, depending on size, scale of individuals and lifestyle, do they want to move back at some point or move in? I shouldn't say just move back, move into the region. Um, Oftentimes, it's exploring that uh, to the people. We've got boot camps and other activities going on to help organizations understand how do you recruit in this area. And that's not an MBF, but I'm aware of it through uh, Tech Impact, UMB, McKenna Institute, universities. And I will say this. There's great success. We've seen it in the, especially in the students that are supported at the master's and PhD level. If you can educate here, Retention can be high. <laughs> we seem to be not as it, it seems to be higher at that level of retention than it should be. Say, um, in my own case, having sons coming out of their undergrad, undergrad students seem to be way more, more way more fluid in movement of where they'll go versus the, uh, the the PhDs and masters. So that might be another opportunity we could focus a little more on and expanding that because I do think there's a capacity issue. And then there's a retention issue, but they're kind of, if your capacity is a little bit higher, then maybe we can cut down on some of this so-called uh, uh, poaching that's happening. So I want to ask you a similar question around where you see the most interesting entrepreneurs coming from these days. Historically, we saw a lot of really cool talent uh, in the embers of the NBTEL yeah. uh, days, as you indicated earlier. But where are they coming from today? Are you seeing the top sort of high growth potential entrepreneurs coming out of universities or are they working in other industries and then venturing out on their own? Are they immigrants? What about female founders? Where, where are you seeing 
the most exciting new entrepreneurial talent coming from these days? So we have a, a blend that's occurred recently. I would have said, if you rolled it back five to seven years ago, we were 70, 80% coming out of university and 10, 20% coming from the entrepreneurial world. We're swinging a bit more now to what I would call uh, repeat entrepreneurs or people coming from another company to moving a bit more to say 50-50. And I think that's a good thing. So we're getting, you know, 18 years in, we're seeing repeat entrepreneurs fire up companies. I'll point to a couple of larger ones, Sonray Security Systems, right? Founding team at Q1 Labs, spin up another company. IntroHive, Jody Glidden, 20 years ago at a company. You know, there's a so-called exit. He spins up now one of the larger, largest IT companies in it. At the same time, we've got some emerging companies um, coming out of the education stream. And again, I think mostly it comes out of some sort of master's and PhD level or an, an advanced level of education because they're working on idea. A couple of companies uh, I wrote down were uh, Potential Motors, you know, it's spinning up uh, electric, I'm going to say off-road vehicles. It's called a UTV, ultra, uh, ultra high-tech uh, vehicle, where they're thinking about electrified uh, off-road actually as a Trojan horse to get at the at their real idea, which is differential transmission. I'm just uh, doing that. That's a student project, student-led, wrapped themselves around with entrepreneurs have wrapped themselves around that team. Stash Energy was another project that came out of the student-led uh, projects, alternative energy storage for homes. And you mentioned about female founder. Uh, we're seeing starting to see that a, a bit more. I won't say it's reached equality, you know, equal balance in our portfolio, but uh, Soma Detect might be the best one that I can think of there or and uh, as a new entrepreneur. And then we got uh, Procedure Flow, Gemba Software, which is a repeat entrepreneur on the female side of things. So there's a bit of a balance. The theme to a lot of them is they come out of a science, technology, engineering background, you know, and, and so that seems to be the key theme to the areas that we are seeing uh, spin up into new businesses. Uh, Jeff, you recently announced a, a new program to support artificial intelligence and um, accelerate the creation and adoption of AI solutions. Can you tell us a little bit about that initiative and uh, what you're hoping to achieve? Sure. Uh, yeah, so th this is where, you know, for the first first time, I believe, as I look back at the history of it, we're starting to see uh, sector-specific research and sector-specific um, investments being made. We've been fairly agnostic over the years and trying to follow the marketplace. But uh, if I take the AI, it's really in an effort to trying to get at talent development is one of the key aspects of it. And I'll explore that a little bit further. And the second is, how do we help stimulate the adoption of existing artificial intelligence um, technologies that are out there? I'll give you, for example, robotics. The robotics is not new, but, but how do you help that uh, adoption rate by companies? Often what we what was coming back from the marketplace is, well, the robot shows up, and there, but there's nobody who knows about robots. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but so how do you help uh, stimulate that? So there's a great lab at UDM uh, where they're working with 
you know, I talk, go back to this linkage to a master's and PhD students or postdocs working with robotics in applications that could be then taken into an industrial setting. And they've now spun it up into being a, how could they train industry on the use of of robots uh, if they're going to adopt it? Like that's ultimately where they're headed um, on that aspect. So, so really the AI is how can we stimulate uh, industry using the expertise of maybe that's a little bit more uh, down the pathway in terms of the uh, awareness and use of uh, AI technologies that exist in academia, connect that with industry, and then at the same time uh, help uh, focus some studies in that area that will then generate talent that if you roll out three to five years, and presumably the assumption is we'll increase the adoption of AI and digitization in the economy of Atlantic Canada, there'll be some talent available to help do that work for folks along the way. And if you think about academia has done that in other sectors already. If you think of an engineering world, you know, an engineering firm hires someone who's educated in the principles of engineering. Now we're trying to get a little bit more specific uh, along that one. So yeah, accelerated training and then ideally, you know, help with the adoption of, uh, of AI. Uh, do you do, are you familiar with deep sense, um, at Dow? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. They're, 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 they're deep into the, uh, almost like the development of AI technologies right. and, and others. Yeah. And our fund, there's a little bit of that, but I would say we've tried to focus on the, uh, um, adoption, implementation, knowledge, you know, awareness of it. Uh, our fund is, is good, but it's just, it's a small amount of money to try and tackle which problem. So we've gone at the, uh, with the support of ACOA. I mean, that's uh, one of their key initiatives. Could we help deliver that to the uh, industry? Are, are there other sectors that you're focusing on, like FinTech or CleanTech, uh, or are you just, you know, focused on uh, the tech startups, no matter, you know, what? <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, no, I guess the other one you would have seen us fire up was a clean tech specific fund. And again, an initiative that's now moving in the prior, you know, a prioritization in terms of the, uh, the uh, objectives of the provincial and federal governments. And again, we, we work closely with both of those organizations. And so we are trying to take an opportunity or a problem and use the levers we have, which is, can we connect applied research to commercialization to help tackle some of those challenges. So clean tech is one, but uh, we're known as an ICT uh, investor. And I, I, you know, we've, we've just recently looked across our, you know, we try and look at the priority sectors of a government and, you know, in New Brunswick, there's one, two, three, four, seven areas. So I would think we are investing sometimes in ICT companies who are used broad-based in enterprises. So if you think of uh, an intro hive, which is a customer relation management software enhancement across every industry. But then a lot of our companies have developed ICT solutions that are being applied in industry. So we've got advanced manufacturing. I'll just, we've got uh, smart skin technologies in that sector, right? Doing, uh, have creating a solution for high-speed packaging lines across the globe, pharma, beverage, food. I mentioned potential motors earlier, you know, in the in the design of electric off-road vehicles we've stimulated research uh, projects and uh, funded uh, centers of excellence in those areas so we are across advanced manufacturing we've got things in digital health cybersecurity is popping up uh, you know and it has been there but 
There's Sonray Solutions, Bocheron, Global Intelligence. We've got research following it. So, so we're, depending on how you define it, is it what the product is based on or what the solution is designed for? And, and so when you look at it on the solution is designed for and the research is designed for, a lot of it is uh, across many sectors. And, and we do try and follow the priorities of the province, which, you know, they come out at different times along the way. And so it's those plus there's some open innovation that's, you know, I will say around the corner or ahead of the curve on some of those things that happen. But yeah, very, very consistent across, uh, across the research and the investment portfolio. Uh, David and I have talked about this in the past, but one of the things that we noted is that <clears throat> oftentimes uh, a tech startup gets to a certain size and then it's purchased by somebody else and kind of disappears from the region. Actually, you've been part of a couple of those. Yes. Q Labs and Radiant 6, I guess. Is, is this a deliberate strategy? Is this what people are trying to do, scale up to a certain point and then get the big payoff or, you know, would there be benefits of us hope, holding on to some of those companies and letting them scale up and remain in, in this region? Yeah, great question, because uh, the exits are for the investors. I always tell people <laughs> right. the, the exit is a financial transaction for the investors. And if you talk to a founder, <laughs> they I said they've gone from having a, a $10 million investment in their, into them over 10 years to a $300 million investment into them for the next five. So the pressure goes up on performance. Uh, along the way, I think as a as we mature and continue to see this, I, I'll go back to the balancing of who's running which company, and as they scale up, you'll see confidence in investors willing to back repeat entrepreneurs longer into their growth stage. Um, so we're thinking of the Sonrays, the Introhives, the the Bocherons, and a few smart skin. We're seeing that. Uh, so yes, we do need to move this down the pathway and I, to get where we can have a change out of investors without having a outright purchase by a new, new, uh, a company, uh, in an effort to meet the, uh, financial returns for some of the various investors that are in, embedded along the way. So that's kind of one of the characteristics of these companies. And, and the difference is because you're using equity to finance almost exclusively, or, you know, 80%, it's different than other companies where we're using debt and debt has, you know, you just repay it at basic returns. So, so I think it'd be to happen, but I think there's two th ways to think about that. I think it's provincially, we'll, we'll see examples of that. We're seeing it now, but this is where I start to look across the region and say, now we start to think about New Brunswick as part of the Atlantic Canadian ecosystem and our partners at InnovaCore who are also, you know, a policy of the provincial government and in Newfoundland where every year we're seeing more and more ways that companies are scaling, raising the required capital and financial exits occur, but it's not deemed a sale of the company or a sellout. Um, so, you know, you saw it Verifin in Newfoundland, we saw um, Meta Materials in Nova Scotia doing an IPO, um, you know, Intrahive announcing a large equity financing. Like these are significant. So we're going to, that, that didn't happen seven years ago. So the maturity is happening. So I think that's uh, happening. Uh, we'll, we'll see that continue to grow for New Brunswick and Atlantic Canada. 
So just to be clear for the listeners, so you're saying the the locus of control then, or the leadership, the decision making, still stays in the region? Is that the the objective here? That's correct. Yeah, if you can if you can get a financial exit for your investors and maintain management and control, that's a great way. It's called a refinance versus having to sell to a you know you sell to a large scale company. But we can't lose sight that this is one part where we did do so economic studies that there is a continued legacy and involvement of these so-called exits. They don't fly the same flag anymore. The name of the company will disappear. So a Radiant 6 or a, a NVIDIA, I'm thinking of others, RT Tech in our portfolio. Uh, they continued, the last time we measured it, they were they in New Brunswick had, there was three or four companies, or our exits anyways, for MBF, were still at three to 400 people and growing. We're generating positive GDP, revenues, taxes, employment, and arguably are some of the ones now hiring, causing some of the talent challenges because that's how they showed up. And they saw great talent when they bought a company and go, well, why don't I keep doing that? So they don't they don't disappear, but they change the brand. They change the name. Maybe as a local presence, they feel like they're not as um, dominant as they once were. But in many, many cases, there's a sustained benefit uh, to the economy and to those employees that were part of that uh, transaction. So, Jeff, we wanted to turn the conversation a bit to more general discussion about innovation and research in general in New Brunswick. I I would say we've made important strides in recent years, but we still lag behind the rest of the country. According to Stats Canada, we only spend about 1% of our GDP on research and development, less than half the OECD average of 2.4%. And I was thinking about that the other day. That would equate to somewhere around $500 million in more research spent uh, if we could get up to 2.4% of GDP. Uh, imagine if somebody cut a check and said, here, Jeff, spend $500 million a year more uh, on research. So I, I'm not, you know, I, I understand there's lots of issues there. Maybe we're not counting the same way other countries do, although I think the OECD is trying to, to make that apples to apples. Um. I guess the question for you, just in general, would be: Are you do you even believe those numbers, or do you think there's we're not counting that data? Are there interesting things happening that maybe aren't showing up in the Stats Canada data? What what do you think about that? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a continued measurement on the Conference Board of Canada. You know, and they they take the uh, New Brunswick numbers, and then we feel like we're so called low. But then you compare to Canada, well, that's just it depends which which pool you're in. Um, so I don't, I can't dive into what's in or out of their numbers. I've got anecdotal evidence of what's in and out, but I can't tell you from, you know, with the lens that we have on, the, uh, the, the investment into innovation as we define it, which is doing things better, uh, you know, turning products into product services, new companies, which probably represents a small portion of the other one of others is going up. So we're seeing, you know, a significant increase in in that aspect. On our research programs, as an example, our direct funding is roughly around six six to seven million dollars a year. The last year we moved that up to about nine, and we expect that's going to go up to about thirteen. That is all. If you think of it, we go out and we're just one element of it. So that's meant to stimulate more and help private sector make investment into very early stages of the R. Almost, it's in development, but it's the early stage of that development program. You know, we we define research and development, but we 
you know, we're, we're in the development stage where they take ideas and commercializing it. So that's on the, our core research. And that will translate into three, four times more dollars than that traditionally. And, and they're, uh, they're seen as a way to stimulate growth. You know, we, we think innovation as a growth engine. The other number I can really point to is private sector investment into, into new businesses. And this is a phenomenon you'll see across Canada. New Brunswick has not missed, if anything, we've probably outperformed. So when we measured in 2020, uh, the total dollars that had been invested into our portfolio, in addition to MBIF, that were, and I'm going to use the word private sector, carve out, ACOA, carve out, uh, uh, IRAP. We had about 100 and, 180 million dollars, and we'd put in around our investment at the time was around 26, 27 million into that the the active portfolio. Since that time, that number of private sector investment is north of 250 million, 260 million dollars, and and that's a trend that across Canada. So like that is a you know that's an exponential change <laughs> for us and. And they're going into companies that by definition are going to invest a fair chunk of that into R&D. So again, it goes back to our first part about ICT impacting GDP. So on the new business formation, we're seeing it it grow. Uh, you know, if you followed the last federal budget, or last week's or two weeks ago's budget, right? The, the amount of money, it was in, dubbed a little bit of an innovation budget. That, that idea to say invention's not enough. We need to stimulate uh, new product services and new companies out of uh, out of that and so lots to be learned but it's a, a phenomena that's a national one as well so does it help of course I, I believe it definitely would help we you know hard to peel back uh, in the private large industri- industrial companies how where they make those investments into innovation but in our little world which is now changing there's it's it's significant and as we look out for the coming year, it's still po- strong, strong uh, investments, uh, ready, ready uh, market. A deeper uh, dive uh, shows that the real gap in a business uh, sector spending on R&D is quite significant in this region, especially compared to other parts of the country. Across Atlantic Canada, business accounts for a very low share of total R&D spending. You know, we, we wonder why this is the case. Is it is it the size of the organization and is it the types of businesses that we have? What is it about this region uh, that uh, shows such a lag in R&D spending? Do you have any ideas? I, I don't because it surprises me because if I think of, you know, I know in our sector it's, 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 it's automatic, you know, but we're, we, you know, we don't influence that number very much when you measure i say 220 million dollars yeah well it rounds up into as you said a one percent change so i'm not sure i do know that the there's an incredible amount of innovation applied across multi-sec multi-industries when i talk to leaders or operators in fishing that i know from my days in newfoundland like i talked to my relatives they're innovating non-stop on technology and process and services like so it's somehow these and it's happening in our traditional industries as i live in saint john and look around i go i i know these things are happening but i don't i can't it's an area that i don't have enough information of how it's not making its way through so the the numbers in the area that i operate don't reflect what the attitudes and the actions that i observe with some of these small and large companies but 
I'll leave that to the economists to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to, to sort, of sort out and help yeah, guide still, us on. We're still waiting we for David it, it, to give us yeah. an answer in that one. He hasn't yeah, got well, it, <laughs> I think it might be partially in the data itself. So we're for, for how firms report yeah. what right. they're doing in terms of research, what actually is research, I think sometimes can be a little murky. If it's tied to a government, you know, like a shred program yes. or something like that, it's easier to track. But if it's just the fishermen finding a way to innovate, you know, how they, how they catch fish or, or whatever, maybe that's a little harder to, to capture. I, I do think it's a concern though. And, and, oh, I, yeah. and, and I'm not hundred percent sure how we, how we try to solve that. I know the MBIF, you've got lots of programs. You've talked about what you've done, the innovation voucher fund. Um, I guess the, just to finalize the question on that, should, do you think the public sector should be spending more money to try and stimulate more of that. And again, not so much on the, on the startup side. I think, no, I know. you know, you've, you've, you've explained that quite well, but on the existing firms, like the existing manufacturer with 50 employees or the existing forestry firm with, you know, a hundred employees or the existing sawmills or, or whatever, do you think it's a question of more public funding there, more federal dollars? Um, again, that's a little down, right? That's not yeah. the risky side of things, but but, no, but is it's... there is there a role for more public sector funding, or or do, do businesses just have to suck it up and and, and <laughs> invest more? Here? Well, I think there's a couple things. This, again, this is a personal opinion, not my MBIF. Just observing the um, part, I think there's a cha- sometimes the capital markets. If you think of the traditional capital markets, so that would be banks, lenders other form of equities, we get a disadvantage in Atlantic Canada. And so could be because our businesses aren't as large as those other ones, or, well, you know, there's nervousness that I'm not sure that the capital is flowing as freely into assisted private. And when I say that's the banking and other sectors, I'm not talking about the government funding whatsoever. So I think there's a little bit of that. Um, I think our competitiveness so then I think attitudinally, we got to really think about our competitiveness and, and sustainability because innovation is a great way to offset some of that. But if you also, if you, if you miss and decide not to consider innovation as a way to do things better and not necessarily an expense, but start to think of it in an investment, there's a, there's a risk, but and an opportunity, but I think there's, a, it's a complex question, uh, that, you know, needs needs some further further work <laughs> just a couple of quick uh, final sure. questions jeff uh, you know innovation is an interesting concept and um <clears throat> recently did a podcast with uh, volta effect and the, their chief innovation officer said well you have to you have to understand what is innovation and and uh i think it's a good it's a good reminder that I remember in my business, I had always had a philosophy. The philosophy is this, better today than yesterday, better tomorrow than today. And to me, that was just an innovative mindset sure. that says we have to get better. Somehow we have to get better. You know, the defining um, uh, innovation is not necessarily, you know, having a budget for innovation. It has, it's a philosophy, yes. don't you think? Oh, and, for sure, and 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 I and I guess that you know sometimes people glaze over and say you know you have to be innovative. Yeah, every business has to be innovative to survive. That that's the only way they survive in the end is by finding better ways of doing things, right? So, you know, I, I guess the question is why should we care? 
as citizens, why should we care about companies being innovative? Yeah, that's well, first, like you brought up a good part. It's it's just it's, the innovation is a hundred different definitions uh, yeah. along the way. And it's it doesn't need to be rocket science type innovation. It's that's why I said I, I we keep thinking of it as you're implementing uh, a new process or service or technology to get yourself to an improved product, a new or an improved product service or business, either or, right? So very broad. Um, so I can do that. Um, and innovation is important because the net result of any innovative process or innovation, in my mind, it drives investment, it drives revenues, it drives product pr profits, uh, you know, financial side, which is, you know, measured as productivity improvement. So innovation is, has that as its end state. It's always to increase or improve. Uh, right? right. So, so by definition, then it will drive, should drive benefit back to the province more so than the investment, whether it's the time or the dollars they have to put in to make that happen. Right. Um, and if you don't, then you're going to, you risk the risk, you, you risk be remaining competitive or adaptive, um, along the way, the other thing being considered an innovative province or company or organization is it attracts talented, curious, problem solving type individuals who like to work on those things. You know, we have teams who are execution experts. They are fantastic. Right. And then you can also augment that with these innovative thinkers that are you know, I would say the, the the competitive tension. We say, why are we why are we even thinking of changing again? Well, because there might be a different way. So you're balancing how much change when do you implement that. So I think it attracts, it drives productivity, profits from an economic perspective. It drives oppor new opportunities, which is for attracting talent, and it is also around retention. I find innovation retains people. I've talked to many in my career who would say, "Oh, I could go over there, but." I'm going to lose the ability to do problem solving. I become a wheel cog in the wheel. And that's not, there's different personalities for different areas, but that's the other part that innovation in my mind helps with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last question. How are you feeling these days about innovation in the province of New Brunswick? Are you bullish about uh, what's going on and uh, what's the future hold? Yeah, I'm very bullish. I'm bullish by nature, but I'm, I'm also, you know, when the, uh, when the pandemic hit, I, I just couldn't, and talking to researchers and entrepreneurs, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a euphoric moment for innovative businesses. We've just caused a seat, a material change in the way large companies around the world will buy, how quickly they will adopt the business practices they would consider. So just my, the opportunities became open. And what's really interesting is post now, as we come out, it seems to be embedded. <laughs> I was nervous, you know, were you still going, were they going to continue to buy software or these early stage innovations that now they're going to change their buying behaviors, but some things have become institutionalized on that end in the marketplace, which is gives our New Brunswick and companies now uh, takes away what, what turns, what was a disadvantage into an advantage in an ability to, to reach markets and get products and goods and services to there. So that's got me quite excited and that's now also stimulating research uh, opportunities as well for research professionals, the professors and, and students. There's also, you think of the uh, 
there's other things happening in our ecosystem that are are going to be transformative. So the McKenna Institute investing in digitization theme, the provinces invested in in that. So we've got private and public sector uh, money going to there. We've got an incredible amount of work going into the, I know, into the workforce of, of IT in particular. And I think of IT not just for the companies that are new, new companies, but across our existing businesses as digitization and technology gets adopted. Um, investment dollars are going up as a result of this. So, you know, it's, you know, uh, the, the uh, recessions or downturns have created some of the best innovative companies and best innovative time, uh, times for innovation to be uh, commercialized and capitalized. So I think we we came out of it. It's just, it, we, we did it during the pandemic. It's continuing now. And uh, so I think uh, there's lots to be, lots to be excited about. I know I am. It gets, uh, and I, I think that's going across uh, Atlantic Canada and the other one, the collaboration across Atlantic Canada has never been as high as it is right now when it comes to innovation as in particular at the uh, entrepreneurial level and the investment level. Well, you know, that's why we wanted to have you on our podcast because we see the same thing. Um, and, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of momentum right across the region, which gets David and I very excited. So, uh, Jeff, really appreciate you uh, coming on to the podcast uh, and sharing your insights with us and uh, particularly finding out a little bit more about uh, the New Brunswick Innovation Foundation, very successful organization that a lot of people outside New Brunswick don't know much about, but now they do, thanks to you. And uh, again, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week. This episode of Insights was brought to you by MNP Digital, a firm that guides, protects, and empowers organizations along their digital journey. See how at mnpdigital.ca.